Hi, and welcome to Free the Geek FM. This is the podcast about the business of freelancing as a software developer, a technical writer, content producer, and all-round PHP lover. Hey, and welcome to episode three of Free the Geek FM. So what did you think of my interview with Paul Jones in episode two, where we had a good fireside chat discussing his favorite book, The Mythical Man Month? Did you like it? Like, what did you get out of it? Did you think, as some people have, have tweeted and emailed me, that it's, it's an absolutely gold book? Personally, I'm at about 80% through the book. Sorry, Paul. But it's definitely a really compelling book. It's, there's, there's so much in it. There's so much value in it from the references about how you know, why, why projects don't go right to how to run them properly. I admit some of the examples I, I found a little quirky. Not all of them. I mean, some of them, but even though it was written, what, in 1975, it, it may as well have been written, what, last year, this year even. And for the quirkier examples, if you swapped around, like, the, the, the places and some of the terminology used or appreciated that you could combine some of the things... Um, through the use of, of more modern tools, the information itself, the advice, the recommendations are still spot on. They're still you know, as, as relevant as, as they were what, what all those years ago. If you are new to programming, personally, I think you need perhaps, and this is a bit of a, a thumbsuck figure, but about three years of experience, of, of hands-on practical professional experience before you would really start to get value out of the book. And as I said, three years, it's, it's a bit of a thumbsuck figure. But I think that gives you, kind of gives you enough that you've gotten a series of experiences where the examples in the book become much more meaningful. So if you're left the examples being, I don't know, like a, a, a big quaint, the gold, as the saying goes, um, was it there, there lies gold in them da hills or, you know, some such. So if you haven't grabbed a copy already, I can only say to you, you know, do a favour to yourself, invest in your career, invest in your education, and grab a copy. I, th- I think it's no le- no more than 20 euros, so that'd be, what, 15, 20, 20 US dollars on Amazon. Well worth it. All right. Okay, so to a bit of business. After having a, a bit more of a think about it, I'm, I've decided to release an episode of Free the Geek FM every two weeks. As I was kind of postulating last time, I, I think a month is just, it's, it's too far. It's, it's too much space between. Whereas a week, though, that's, I think it's like too little space. It's like, you know, it's too much content. Going forward, every fortnight is the sweet spot. Every fortnight on a Monday, a new episode will be out. Now, to, to help uh, set and manage expectations, I've updated the Free the Geek FM website. There, whereas before, there was just the current episodes list. Now you can find the latest episodes, past episodes, and upcoming episodes. In the upcoming episodes list, currently there's only this episode, but I'll be changing that where I'm aiming to have at least five future episodes or five upcoming episodes there at any one time. You can see, similar to all the other listings, you can see you know what we're talking about, the title, the guests on the show, and that, you know, the basic bit of information about what we'll be covering. So if you need to, if you're ever curious about who's going to be on the show, definitely check out the website. It'll have all the information that you need. 
And speaking of all the information you need about the show, have you signed up to the mailing list yet? If not, the mailing list is the place where I add all, you know, some extra information, behind the scenes, audio, outtakes, all the bits of, you know, why this episode, why this person, who's coming up, which hasn't been talked about on the website yet, all those kind of, you know, behind the scenes bits and pieces. So if you haven't, under the Free the Geek FM logo on the website, you'll see the email sign-up bar. Drop your email address in there, click subscribe, and then you're on the list after confirming. So I hope that you'll join me there, because starting this week, we'll have that behind-the-scenes mailing list-only content coming out. All right, so what I want to talk about this week is, is in line with the fireside chat with Cal and, and his book on, on being a professional developer, or being a professional in general, and this, this time I, I want to have a bit of a, I kind of want to run my thoughts here about how do you, how do you manage yourself? How do you manage your time? How do you manage your projects? That, that might sound a bit vague. What I mean is, is that, you know, in, in a, in a, in a, say, a, a, air quotes, standard nine to five job, broadly speaking, you know, you, you turn up and your employee, your boss, your line manager, project manager, you know, someone in that, that level of authority above you is saying, okay, here are the tasks that you have to do, you know, today, this week, this month, here are the projects that you've got on, or in some way or other, effectively, you have the task kind of given to you. You know, you can then break them down and say, how will I best approach this? But the tasks, the projects themselves are given to you. Whereas when you're a freelancer or a standalone developer, you it, it isn't so clear cut. It isn't so so straight down the line. You're kind of your line manager. You're your boss, but you're also the worker. So you haven't got someone standing over your shoulder, as it were, saying, "Well, why isn't this done? Here's the next job. Or oh, when you finish this, you can go on to that." You're kind of it. You're you're playing both roles, and it's something that I wouldn't say I struggle with, but it's something that does come up from time to time. Is is, you know, what is the most valuable use of my time right now? Of, say, for example, looking on my, my Kanban board here in the, in the office, I've got a number of tasks in progress and a number of tasks upcoming. The question is, you look at it and say, okay, well, which task is the most compelling that I should be working on right now? Which one should I be doing? And what's my order of priority? What, what, which one comes first? Which one comes second? And so on. How do you how do you sort those by what you should be doing? Yeah, you know, from time to time, I found myself kind of wasting a bit of time fussing over that. You know, you look at it and say, is it the size of the job? Is it the complexity of the job? Is it the dollar value on the job? Is it the value of the client relationship? And simplistic term here by value, I mean, you know, you have a really good relationship with them. You've been working with them for a long time, and given that value, you know. Do you feel that it's, it's, you know, it's worth chasing that job or, sorry, completing that job first? Whereas maybe you have a new client who I'm not saying they're of any less value, but then you, you know, you haven't established that sense of rapport with them. So perhaps you weigh it a, uh, with a, a lesser sense of priority. This week I'm putting it out and, and next week I'm going to have a think about it during the week and, and come back with some specifics. This is what I'm thinking uh, a good realistic set of processes of how, you know, how to, how to organize yourself. But for right now, I kind of want to start the conversation. I want to put it out there and say, how do you organize yourself as a freelancer, whether you're a technical writer, whether you're a developer, or you do some other kind of technical work? 
we'll assume that you know you've got enough work in and you're suitably loaded up in work. How do you look at the jobs that you have on and say, okay, this is the most valuable, this is the right one to be working on now, and then comes this one, this one, and this one. Actually, if you're if you're in that position yourself, you know, send me a tweet, you know, send a tweet to Freeing the Geek and let me know, you know, what do you do? What's your approach? How do you do it? You know, if you're also a blogger, if you've written a post on it, you know, tweet me a link to the post. Or if you've read a good one or read a good series of them, you know, tweet those links. Because it's something that I'd really like to have a good conversation, you know, with everybody about. I'd really love to, to get a really good answer to this question. And I'm not looking for cliched advice, you know, like get your to-do list, sort them one by one. I'm really looking for that real practical kind of hard-won experience where, you know, maybe you made mistakes, maybe things went wrong, maybe you, you did it wrong and, and you got a bit burned by it. But as a result of, of that process or that experience, you know, it really crystallized for you and you say, this is how to do it and it works. What's more, something that works with a minimum of effort and fuss. So if you have ideas, if you have links, if you have suggestions, please tweet me at Freeing the Geek. I would love to hear what you have to say. All right, and that brings me to the best part of the show, my fireside chat with the one and only, the voice of the PHP community, Mr. Cal Evans. I was really excited to, to have Cal on the show, especially after we met up at PHP South Coast a couple of weeks ago. I want to get his take, the, sort of the inside story, if you will, on one of his books, Going Pro, and the reason I picked that book out of the four that he's currently published is because it's it's something that I've not wrangled with, but always wondered about and always sort of strived for in my own career is, is what is a professional programmer. And I was really happy that how he describes it in our fireside chat is, is kind of exactly like what I thought it would be. It's, you know, and that is, without giving too much of the fireside chat away, is that you know, being a pro isn't necessarily about technical skill. Whilst that has a lot to do with it, it's not necessarily the key thing. You know, he, he talks about what motiv- motivated him to write the book, what he's learned since that time, and some, amongst other things, some really good examples of, of people that he would consider professional programmers. It's a really great fireside chat, and now let's get to it. So here is my fireside chat with the voice of the PHP community, Cal Evans. All right then. So, um, what got you to write the book in the first place? Well, um, that's really not the right question. Um, I didn't really set out to write a book. I, um, for the past three years, I've been lucky enough to be the closing keynote at Sunshine PHP. And it's run by a good friend of mine, Mr. Adam Culp. And so Adam contacted me and said, okay, here's the topic for the um, conference. Because he always does a theme for the, for the conference. Mm-hmm. And so I sat down, and my method of working on um, talks is, or non-technical talks, is I will write them all out. I've got a big Google Doc, and I'll write it all out. And I finished it, and I was, I was kind of surprised at how big it was. Uh, you really don't usually talk, um, have that much. <laughs> so I, um, I you know, put it, uh, went ahead and finished it out, and I put the slide deck together and uh, started talking to my wife, the lovely and talented Kathy, and I said, you know, the slide deck is not going to help anybody. It's just a series of random images to support the, to- the um, topics I'm talking on. There's no bullet points. There's no takeaways. There's nothing you can do with it. 
Um, I said, what if we turn this into a book? And she kind of liked the idea. And we've been working with Lean Pub. We've had one or two books released already. So we said, okay, let's just do a Lean Pub on it and uh, we'll release an ebook. So um, that's how the book came about. Is um, you know, it's just the the talk. And usually when I give the talk, I will uh, include a code on the screen where people can get um, buy or get it for free because. You know, the point was not to um, to, to release a book and, and, and make lots of money. Um, mm -hmm. If you're, that's the reason you're writing technical books, you're in the wrong business. You make a whole lot more money as a Walmart reader. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I've sort of found that with that with the first book I wrote. <laughs> Resonated well, but in terms of, I, I don't see myself as the next J.K. Rowling. Yeah, not I'm not either. But you, but like I said, I already had this done, and it answers the questions. Will you release the slides? Because I felt bad because the the slides really are not helpful to anybody. They're they're just there for the online presentation. Um, and so you know, people say, well, you release the slides. I said, no, but I'll give you a free copy of the book. Okay. So how do you feel like you know since the you released the book? How do you feel that it that it went over? I mean, so is it like the, the book on its own, the book and and the keynote? How do you feel people receive sort of one or both? Um, I, I, the keynote was actually received very well. Um, uh, there's joined, Adam joined in. There's all the comments, and uh, every now and then I, I will go back, go back out and um, read those, and um, just you know, amazed that you know all the things that people said about it. Um, so the keynote was received very well. Uh, the book I, I think was. Received pretty well. Uh, last year, for my birthday, I released the book for free for one day, 24 hours. I put out a tweeted like six or seven times. There's a free coupon code. Um, go go grab a copy of the book. And of the 800 people that have bought the book, I'm guessing about 400 of them came out of that. So mm -hmm. um, you know, if 400 people, even for a free book, if 400 people would go and download it, I, I consider that pretty successful. Yeah, I think that, that that sounds fair to say. Um, I, I admit I um, I haven't worked through the book yet, but I was just sort of wondering if you could just for the for the purposes of the podcast sort of give the the essence of the book and what you feel the the, the key aspects of it were. Um, oh, sure. The, well, the book and the talk uh, revolve around the the traits for a professional programmer, what I call mm -hmm. going pro. And um, I use a Klingon word called "dach," and you, you've got to get the book to actually see it. Um, and, but it's mm -hmm. um, you know there are um, I think six or seven um, traits that I discuss that are traits for a professional uh, programmer. And the the one that um, comes to mind is honesty. That's one of the traits of a professional programmer. And most of us don't really lie. You know, we don't get up there and we're not used car salesmen for the most part but most developers are taught. And so we have a tendency to fudge a little. Yeah, I'd love to build that, you know, and stuff like that. And when we don't really know that we can. And if we're honest with ourselves and with our clients, what we'll say is, I've never done this. I'm fairly sure I can do this, and I want to take a shot at it. And mm -hmm. so that's one of the traits of a professional programmer. A professional programmer knows when to be honest, and, or do, to, to be blatantly honest and say, you know, no, I've never done this, but I know I can do it. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting you, you say that. Is I, I think, speaking from personal experience, um, 
and it's always I hope to people who you know who would know, recognize this story aren't listening. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it is it is those times I I think I don't really know anybody or rare few people who I've spoken to over the years who haven't fallen into that and not necessarily intentionally. They just yeah. You see it, and it's such an exciting prospect, and kind of before you know it, you're into it, and then you can so easily, I think, make that that classic mistake. Absolutely, and we all do it. Every developer has done it. But like I said, one of the hallmarks of a professional developer is they recognize the fact that they do this, and at least they're honest with their client. Well, that's a fair thing. Um, thinking that, that through... Um, it, it reminds me of, of something I was talking to, to, to Paul Jones about um, on the last episode, and when I sort of we were talking through the Mythical Man Month, and he mm. re- remarked to me that sometimes reading these things you can't sort of do it with young eyes or or inexperienced eyes. You sort of need a certain amount of that experience before you can appreciate the wisdom which is in front of you. Do you? Do you reckon the same thing here applies, or that you could kind of learn this reasonably close to the outset? Well, I'm one of those arrogant developers, um, especially when it comes to PHP, because mm-hmm. in the space that PHP we work in with PHP, I'm arrogant enough to believe that you know I can pretty much solve any problem that comes up and build mm-hmm. any system that comes up. Now, um, I have as I've aged, I've realized that that is arrogant. And I look at um, people or developers like Paul and like Mr. Matthew Weirofini, uh and uh, Taylor Otwell, and I look at the code that they write, and I go, you know, yeah, I could, I can read that. But there's no way in heck I would ever write that code. But that mm-hmm. doesn't make me want to stop taking on these new projects. You know, I, I want to build the next Eiffel Tower in PHP. I want to next or paint the next Mona Lisa in the PHP space because. You know, I love what I do. What I do is not just my job and my vocation; it is also my art. So I, you know, I, I'm very guilty of um, telling clients, "Yeah, I'll do that." But in the past ten years, I've gotten to the point where I'll say, "Yes, I want, I want to do this." No, I've never done this, but I'm pretty sure I can do this. Okay. Um, assuming that, for argument's sake. You had you made that mistake, um, uh, and we'll say inadvertently, and you were partway into the project, and you but you realised what what had happened. Um, what at, at that point do you feel would be the best course of action to take, to 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 be honest, or to sort of try and just knuckle down and get it done? Oh, good lord, no! Um, be honest with your client, um, and mm-hmm. part of that comes from the fact that. You know, um, we're all adults here, and we have to, to treat each other as adults. So if I have screwed up and I have overestimated my talents, which I'm using the word talents here very loosely, but if I have overestimated the fact that I have talent, then um, as mm-hmm. soon as I recognize that, I, I owe it to my client to be an adult and to let them know. And if that means that I lose the job, then that means that I lose the job. But I'm not going to keep working on it and just keep pouring more and more hours into it, figuring I can pick this up, I can fix this. The quicker you can identify the fact that this thing has gone off the rails um, and that you can own up 
and then if possible, work with your client to create a plan that will put it back on track that works for everybody. That's the proper course of action. Um, but I've had clients, and okay. I've admitted that I'm over my head. I've had them say, you know, I was afraid of this, and they've just walked away from me, and it's my loss, and I deserve that. Okay. I mean, I, hats off to, you know, for, for you know, sort of taking such a professional attitude about it. Um, I, I think it's that's a, a sort of attitude that I uh, feel I've only come to in the last uh, couple of years. I don't, I don't have a specific length of time on that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I sort of feel that that's something I've sort of come to. I'll just say recently. So yeah, I, I you know really like that you know that you're able to do that. Mm. In addition to honesty, what 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 are the other characteristics that you identify as as a truly professional programmer? Um, let's see. I don't have the book open in front of me, so I can't. Although I've just recently given it uh, given the talk, so it should be fresh on my mind. Um, oh, another one is team player. Okay, um, I've been a team of one before. I was the computer guy at a company. If it was computer, I was the one that fixed it, wrote it, ran the cable, whatever it did, or whatever it required. I was the guy that did it. Um, I've also worked on teams of 30, more, 30 or more developers. And professional developers, whether they're working on a team of one or a large team, they understand that they are working on a team and that they are accountable to that team for their actions. They are accountable for the deadlines and um, for their attitude. And professional developers understand this and, uh, you know, will we'll work within the team even if it's not where they want to go. I mean, the team could be, the project could be going someplace they don't think is right. That's okay. Professional developers will... Um, power through it and say this is what this is my responsibility I'm an adult I'm getting paid to do this I owe it to my employer and my team to do it in the most professional manner I can mm-hmm. of all of, I guess the developers that that you've met and that, that you know and, and, and perhaps superficially have heard of who would be perhaps and not wishing to seek a big number perhaps say three or, or maybe sort of around a couple of developers who you think really good examples of you know that's that is a true pro that's a that's a, a dead set professional well you mentioned the first one my um, my good friend mr. Paul M Jones um, he's up in the Nashville area um, we used to live up there and um, Paul and I and um, the lovely and talented Kathy and um, Anna used to hang out together um, just having a good time. I, I love Paul and Anna and um, miss them dearly now that we're no longer there. But Paul is the epitome of professional. Paul comes in. It's very no-nonsense. Um, it, it's very unusual when you're um, working with Paul on a project that Paul gets emotional about it. Paul is very cut and dry. As a matter of fact, this is what needs to be done. And I, I've come to realize after um, seeing him do this several times that when Paul says this is what needs to be done, He's actually thought this through, and this is actually what needs to be done. Um, okay. But beyond Paul, um, uh, a friend of Paul and mine, uh, Ms. Laura Thompson. Uh, I, I love Laura to death. And um, although Laura is more management these days than developer, but she started as a developer like the rest of us, and um, she, you know, she, she's just the epitome of um, of professional. Matter of fact. Um, if I ever have to go back to actually coding for a living, and I don't right now, I 
Um, I work at Zend, and I'm in charge of training and curriculum and certifications, and it's wonderful. Uh, but nobody lets me write code. But if I actually had to go back to writing code for a living, I would mm -hmm. want to work for somebody like Laura Thompson because Laura understands she grew up as a programmer. She understands programmers. Um, she started her career as a programmer. So now that she's in a management role, um, she understands how programmers should act and how to get the best out of her team. And um, she's just, I, I keep telling everybody, uh, when I grow up, I want to be as smart as Laura. So. Okay. Um, on, on the point of getting the best out of your team, I mean, perhaps we're segueing a bit. But what, and, and I know I think, and this isn't an intentional segue to, to another book you have, but in terms of getting the best out of programmers specifically, and maybe, you know, we're a, a special breed perhaps, what do you feel personally are the the key things to do to to sort of to to maybe attract developers and then once you've attracted them to to have them want to stay? I guess other than you know like the the gourmet chefs and um, segways and all those sorts of things. Yeah, I don't put much stock into the um, free lunches or the foosball or the kegerator. Because um, quite honestly, those are trappings, and those might get a developer's attention and get them to join your team, but they're not going to keep a developer there. Mm -hmm. um, uh, basically, and you're right, this is I, I've got another book out called Culture of Respect, and uh, it talks about attracting, retaining, and managing your development teams. And the title says it all. You have to build a culture of respect, and I, I built, I wrote a lot of that book thinking back on the teams that I have managed, and the best teams that I have managed have been teams that almost self-assembled. I have this um, way of interviewing where as soon as I have more than two people on the team, I start bringing everybody into the interview anytime we're interviewing somebody new, uh, because I've already vetted them technically. Um, any mm -hmm. interview that makes it to an on-site interview, I've already vetted them technically. I know they can do the job. What I'm now looking for is can they work on this team and can the team work with them? Because as I tell everybody that I hire, I've only got to manage you. The people sitting at this table have got to work with you, and that's a much more serious commitment. So I bring the entire team in, and the entire team will sit there. and We usually, they usually go hour, hour and a half. It's a very expensive way to do an interview. But it's a lot cheaper than making a bad hiring decision uh, and trying to get rid of somebody. So we'll bring them in. Everybody will ask all the questions they've got. Everybody from junior programmers up to my seniors will ask questions and will sit there. I usually don't participate at all. Um, I, I've, I'm looking for how the team is interacting with this person. And um, so that's what I mean by self-assembling. This team decides who they want on their team. And um, the other rule is... Um, after the person is gone, we sit around and we'll discuss this person for a while, and then I'll call for a vote. And if anybody says no, I mean, if a junior programmer votes no, then that person is no longer a viable candidate. And I've walked away from, um, in my career, I can think of three instances where I walked away from candidates that I thought would just be perfect candidate because somebody on the team said, no, I don't think they're right for this team. And that's okay. not saying, no, they can't do the job. That's mm -hmm. saying, no, they don't work. They're not going to work well on this team. We're going to have problems. And the productivity of the team is worth more to me than trying to shoehorn somebody in because I think they can technically do the job. That's so that's how I build my teams. And then 
getting the best out of them is a matter of leaving them alone. Um, I give them overall direction. Hmm. I'm the guy that um, I walk around with a coffee pot and fill everybody's cup about 9, 10 o'clock in the morning, and I'll talk Hmm. to them if they've got time to talk. If not, I'll just fill it and walk away. Um, And I do what I call poop screen. I am the umbrella that protects my team from everything coming down from above, from upper management. If Hmm. somebody needs a a developer to go to a meeting, I'm the one that goes to the meeting. Um, If there's something that needs to be decided, I'm the one that's decided developers are there to develop, and that's what I want them doing. And so I try to keep everybody out of the way so that they can concentrate on what they do best. That's awesome. I sort of, in some ways, wish I grew up in the States. You know, I could have worked for you. (laughs) (laughs) No, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. I'm a real bad boss because I have a tendency to just leave you alone. I'll tell you what I want you to do, and... um, you know, I expect you to come to me if you've got problems. And a lot of people don't work real well in that, that environment. But for the ones that did, man, we had some great teams. Okay. Yeah, it, it, when you were telling the story, it reminds me, there's this there's this show on, on German TV here. Um, it's about people who are like expats. And mm-hmm. they usually seem quite hapless. But this one story last night was this young lady, early 20s, um, was applying for a job in Spain as a as a Per, uh, per, personal trainer and fitness trainer and, and so on and and people remarked they said technically your skills aren't you know your skills aren't quite there we can teach you that but we, we want to take you on because your personality is fantastic yep. and they said they said that, you know we can teach you the technical stuff you don't know but if you can't relate to people well, we can't teach you that and we can't work with that yeah um, there's a magazine out called Fast Company. And um, when Fast Company first came out, I was a charter subscriber. Uh, And uh, for the first year, it was awesome. Then the original founders sold it to Condé Nast, and it it went downhill in a hurry. Uh, But in that first year, there were some phenomenal articles. And one of them was exactly that. It was hire for attitude. You can teach people just about anything. And that lesson has never left me. Is, you know, if I find people with the right attitude, I can teach them dang near anything. But if you don't have the right attitude, then all you can do is be a problem for me and a problem for my team. And quite honestly, neither me nor my team has time for that. That's very cool. If you had, say, let's say hypothetically, right, um, if someone's come onto the team and for six or 12 months, everything was going smashingly well. And, you know, the work was fine. Um, I'm, I'm not going to sort of get into whether you know they were a stellar programmer or, or an average one. Just you know the work the work was was fine enough and good team player and, and there were no problems. And then uh, you know maybe they emotionally they started to get a, a bit emotional or a bit flaky. You know just quite out of character. Mm-hmm. Do, um, is there a way without you know seeking to necessarily pry into personal examples? How you know you might sort of bring that person back around, or if you found, or if it, or alternatively, if you felt somebody was mostly there and they needed a bit of rough edges knocked off them, you know maybe they were just a bit young and they were a bit raw, but you felt they had potential um, to yeah you know, to grow into someone like Paul or, or, or Matthew where if any. How do you how do you feel you could kind of guide them to to bring that out of them? Well. 
I've dealt in my career as a manager, I have dealt with alcoholism, I have dealt with family problems, I've dealt with financial issues. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, all of these are distractions that will keep people from actually um, doing the job. And mm-hmm. this this is a, a problem. So what I try to do is I will um, I will get them I, I start with by talking you know Let, let's let's go and let's sit and have a cup of coffee somewhere and, and and see if this is a problem that I can solve there are problems that I can't solve as a manager I, my my toolbox is very limited um, because I deal with you at work I don't deal with you your personal life and stuff like that and here in the States, you know, there's limits to what I can even ask people. But I, you know, let's see if this is a problem I can deal with. Then, if it's not a problem that I can deal with and it is a persistent problem, is this a person that I can move off to a side project? Um, you know, if, if I've taken the time to hire them, then I am vested in them. I, you know, I, I, the, to me, firing is an admission that I failed. Um, and so I do that, you know, I do that rarely. I've had to do that. I've had to cut people loose, but not often. Um, but mm-hmm. is, can I move this person over to a side project that doesn't have the the deadlines or the pressure so that they can have time to get their, their act together? And mm-hmm. I've had this actually work. Now, I'll be honest with you. I've had situations where the person has not been able to put their life back together and get to where they can focus on the job. And in those cases, very rarely, but I've had a couple of those, I've actually said, I'm sorry, we're going to have to let you go. And it mm-hmm. pains me. Uh, you know, uh, I literally go into a depression personally because what this means is I have failed myself, I have failed the team, and I have failed this person. And it, it, it's just a heavy weight for me to bear or to carry. Um, and it does affect me for a few days. It, it's not something that I'm like, yep, you know, you're fired. It, it, it's not never that easy for me. Yeah. Okay. It's interesting to hear because, like, I've I've never been in a position to have, to to have done that. But I've sort of been curious as to, and, and not in some sort of, um, I'm actually lost for the word. You know, some kind of you know like wanting to be there. It's just it's just interesting to hear what it, you know what what it's like to have to to do that. Yeah. Um, but let's see, and I'm and I'm sort of trying to sort of round up some thoughts at this stage, because it's been a really interesting chat, by the way. Oh, I'm glad. Um, where do you where do you sort of see yourself? Do you feel that there's another book coming out, or sort of more focused on the work at its end, or some upcoming keynotes, or may there be another book in the pipeline? Um. Well, you've asked three or four questions. First of all, uh, my work at Zen, um, I'm actually in the process of um, crafting several new classes. I just finished, I myself wrote uh, the new PHP 7 Jumpstart class, and it's just a one-day class. Um, but we, we've, gotten, we've had several good um, sessions with that. People uh, seem to really enjoy that. But I have a, a wonderful team of people working with me, and we're in the process of crafting some new classes that will help PHP developers kick it to the next level. Mm-hmm. Um, keynotes, you know, that's weird. Um, I, I was uh, actually talking to Adam this morning uh, about Sunshine, and mm-hmm. I said, um, do you have a theme? Because I would like to pitch a keynote. Um, 
I am never guaranteed a keynote at Sunshine. He has the ability and the right to say no anytime he wants. I am constantly amazed every year when he says yes. Uh, but I'll be pitching another keynote at um, Sunshine, and I've um, I've actually done this year five or six keynotes. Um, I've done Going Pro two or three times, and um, my other one, which is much more community focused, called Down the Rabbit Hole, uh, which is the one I did at um, uh, PHPU uh, South Coast. Uh, I've done that several times, and have two or three more um, sessions um, that I've got to give that one. So, um, yes, there are more keynotes in there. I don't have anything to announce yet. And as far as books, um, I've actually got a Google Doc that lists about 40 book ideas that I want to eventually write. So, yes, there's always another book in progress. Right now, I am actually or actively working on one, but it's a WordPress book. It's not a uh, – it's actually a WordPress and podcasting book. It's not a technical book. So um, i got to get that one finished. And then, yeah, I'll pop the next idea off the list. Okay. Wow. It sounds like you know, definitely very, very busy. I'll have to um, think of some content ideas for – it is still DevZone um, over at Zend, isn't it? Yes. I, I, um, DevZone is still there. And um, actually, now that I'm back at Zend, uh, for the third time, I am running DevZone. Um, I ran it while I was there the first time. I ran it there under contract for a little while after that. And um, now, again, I'm in charge of DevZone, and uh, we're always looking for writers. So if you or any of your audience wants to publish something, we don't have any uh, money, so that's the first thing. But mm -hmm. I do get an awful lot of traffic, and so if you've got something, uh, 500 words on a very specific technical topic, I'd love to talk to you about publishing that on DevZone. You can reach me at cal at zend.com if you want to pitch me an idea. Sure, okay. Well, like I said, I'll, I'll include all the, the relevant links in, in the show notes as well uh, for, for everybody who's, who's interested. Um, but otherwise, I guess that sort of you know, brings us to the end of the interview. Okay. Well, I want to appreciate, I want to thank you for um, having me. It's always a privilege to be on other people's podcasts. And um, thank you for taking the time to actually create a podcast because I know the work that goes into this. Um, I'm lucky enough to have a great partner to help me with this. Kathy does all the legwork. All I have to do is uh, talk to people. So I know the work that goes into this, and thank you. Oh, I, um, I've just already, you know, happy that you had time to, to come on the show. Um, like I said, when we, when we met at PHP South Coast, I was just – had been looking forward to, to meeting you in person for – ages and to have you on the show as well um can't say how appreciative i am and i i mean that honestly well thank you i appreciate that not a worry well thanks again for your time um i'll leave you to the rest of your day okay thank you not a problem and we'll chat again soon all right so what did you think of the fireside chat with cal do you you know do you agree do you think that that's what it takes to be a to be a professional developer do you think that there's other things that he's left out. I'd really love to get your feelings on what you thought. Okay, and a, f a final few things before we finish up with episode three is, do you want to be on the show? Hey, it's a new show. It's a young show. I'm always looking for guests. So if you'd want to be, on, if you want to be on the show, or if you if you know of somebody who you think would be a, a really a stellar guest, someone who has just absolute gold knowledge, someone who has so much so much brilliant advice and experience to share that you think, you know, yourself and 
yourself, myself, and the rest of the community could benefit from, let me know. Currently, I don't have a form for letting me know, but I'll be adding that to the site soon. In the meantime, though, you can tweet me at Matthew at freethegeek.fm or tweet me at freeingthegeek. Just let me know their email address, you know, the name, their email address, perhaps their Twitter handle. I'll get in touch with them and we'll see if we can get them on. Hey, speaking of guests on the show, do you want to be on? I mean, you know, as well as other guests, perhaps, you know, you have great advice. You have really pertinent information and practical experience to share. If you do, tweet me yourself or email me. I'll be in touch and let's see what we can arrange. And one final thing, I really, you know, making this show is is partly a labor of love, but, it, you know, it's also effort to do. And I'd really love to get your feedback, your input on what you think of it. So if you could add a rating on iTunes, that'd be excellent. It, you know, it helps with sort of getting the show exposed to a wider audience there. And it helps let me know what you think. And it's great for motivation to continue creating the show. So if you've got know, even five minutes, can you add a rating on iTunes, whether it's, you know, a star or, or you know, some, some words about what you think? It'd really go a long way. Anyway, thanks for listening again. And I'm looking forward to, to seeing you in episode four, where I have a fireside chat with Code Rabbi. Looking forward to seeing you then. Mm-hmm.